All right, this is Ricky. And this is Brendan. And you're listening to A Gentleman's Disagreement. What I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find in a case of lion's hands. Folks of different minds, because even though it did not share the pains we share, that American ideal friends made over arguments in an early morning buzz. Need an early morning buzz. All right, Brendan, it is Wednesday evening here, December the 20th. It's going to be our last episode of the year. It's been uh, definitely been an interesting year. It has been an interesting year, which we will discuss globally in this episode with our top five respective stories of the year. But it's also been a big year for the podcasts. We've had really, I think, a, a phenomenal year in a lot of ways. Ricky, I'm going to th- a trivia question for you before we even get into my pun. What episode number of this year is this? Essentially, how many episodes have we recorded this year? I'm hoping it's more than 30. So it is. I'm going to say 35. 39. This is our 39th episode this year. And I'm actually I'm very proud of ourselves. At the beginning of this year, you and I met to kind of set some goals for ourselves. And I had said, look, in an ideal world, we'll do 36 this year. Three a month, you know, like, again, maybe in an ideal, ideal world, we would record every week, but we also knew that wasn't realistic. So we kind of figured, like, three a month would be great, and if we can get guests on about half of those episodes, that would be really cool. So 39 episodes. Credit, hey, credit to us. Credit to us. And I will say, if you get our, if you subscribe to our newsletter, which you can, if, if you don't, you can reach out to us uh, at email at gentlemancandisagree at gmail.com or on Instagram at uh, gentleman underscore a underscore gentleman's underscore disagreement. But if you subscribe to our newsletter, you got uh, the note about all the guests we've had over the course of this year. And I just want to rattle those off because this is this is where I'm like, th- how lucky are we that we've had these these conversations with these type of people over the year? So Matthew Kinch, Jaquetta Van Zandt, Governor Jane Swift, Dan Fishman, Dan Ray, Jen Nassour, Wendy Marbell Napoleon, Dr. Bertha Madras, Treasurer Adam Lane, Professor Barry McDonald, Kira Butler, Kareen Hajar, Professor Renee Landers, Counselor Brendan Ward, District Attorney Chase Boudin, Professor Lara Donny, Donnelly, and David Paleologos, in addition to our friends, Nikayla Chinaswamy and Maureen McInerney, and Dan Gonzalez and Joe Webster for our traditional drafts. Heck of a year. And has been. Uh, very blessed, as always. Yeah, no, it's been. So I'm, I'm proud of us for kind of hitting a lot of our goals. And uh, again, as you said, very grateful for everyone that's helped us along the way, either by joining the program or by listening or by sharing. And so thank you. As we wrap up the year, it's certainly a time for reflection in a lot of ways. And we are incredibly grateful for all, all of the people that have helped and supported and promoted us over the course of 2023. For sure. Well, with that, what uh, what are we talking about on this week's episode? Yeah, so this is now our third full year uh, of doing this podcast, and the, the third time that we're going to do our top five like stories of the year. So we've done this twice before, and the whole premise of the episode is that we are not we have not discussed our respective stories before. We're going to see how much we overlap, and um, and if we, if we kind of both identify the same stories as the ones that are the biggest of the year, I think that says something. And if we don't, I think that says something as well. Ricky, I went back and looked in, in 2021, we had 
the same top three, but in different orders. And those top three were COVID-19, which still like the vaccines and the variants that were still going on. We had the January 6th riots and the Afghanistan withdrawal. Those were kind of our top three. Although again, we were in different orders. Last year, our top two were exactly the same. Number one was the Russia invasion of Ukraine and number two was SCOTUS overturning Roe. So we were pretty much in lockstep last year. I kind of disagreed with stories three, four, and five. But um, so I'll be curious to see. As always, I am always like I, I think about what have we what have we been talking about and what have we been thinking about the most over the course of this past year. And as always, very curious to see if you're thinking the same thing or different things than I am. Yeah, it's always an interesting time to to kind of compare notes because obviously we get together once a week and we talk generally about you know topics that we've we've looked at, but as we are both sort of voracious consumers of news and both follow rather different sets of news outlets, it's always interesting to come back and be like, all right, we're, you know, when we stepped away from our own conversations and back into our respective (laughs) corners, like what did we come away with as, as sort of big stories of the, of the year. And I will preview that. I think I have some things in here that we didn't really hit on, but I feel like this was like, it was, I mean, obviously there are some very big news stories from this year, but this felt like a year of sort of slow burn stories or things that like kept kind of coming up here and there, but maybe, um, like when I think about 2023, when I personally think about 2023, I'm thinking about a lot of things that are not like, you know, this date on this date in, okay. in 2023, okay. XYZ happened. It was more like, oh, this was, yeah, this was something that I feel like when the, when they write the history book on 2023, they'll be like in 23, this thing. happened. Yeah. Okay. That makes me think that we might be on different pages this oh, year, which I think would be, interesting. Which would be fun. All right. All right. Let's, before we get into it, a uh, reminder for the final time in 2023, that the podcast is brought to you by the hardworking craftsmen over at Cannon Hill Woodworking. They've been building handcrafted high-end custom tables and desks in Boston since 2018. That's Cannon with two ends. You can check them out on Instagram or visit them online at www.cannonhillwood.com. Ricky, can you finish with two correct answers in a row this year? A lot of pressure. What was the tree's New Year's resolution? <laughs> I got nothing. To turn over a new leaf. Ooh. <laughs> hmm. I'll give you that. That's a good one. You know, it's funny. Every time you start me off on a tree pun, the word leaf or leaf yeah. comes into and my then mind, but then then blank. The one time. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> of course. All right. When we come back, we'll hop right into it. All right, Brendan, where are we going to start off with this top five? So what we're going to do is we're going to count them down from five to one, and then Ricky and I both have more than five, so we'll do any honorable mentions. But we're not going to do those first just because what might be an honorable mention to you might be in my top five and vice versa. So I'll start with my number five, then we'll go, and you can tell me, was this it, was this in your top five? Were you thinking about it? Was it not on your radar at all? Let's do it. So number five for me was the Supreme Court, just in general. So it's one of those maybe as you were striving slow burn stories that over the course of the year. So the year starts and the Supreme Court makes their rulings in in June and you have obviously the big one was overturning affirmative action, but they had the ruling against President Biden's 
student debt relief plan and they upheld the Voting Act kind of surprisingly. They expanded some religious freedoms and First Amendment protections. And so you have all the, the rulings that kind of in the first half of the year. And then over the course of the year, of course, we have the the slow but steady leaks about the ethics of the court and all, all of the controversy that surrounds particularly Justice Thomas, but Justice Alito as well, that we, we talked about several times throughout the course of the year. Uh, and then we have the court gearing up with a bunch of, of new cases here in the fall, including on gun rights and again, gerrymandering and the Voting Rights Act and the deep state, all the things that we talked about. And just a few weeks ago, the court did release its uh, its first code of ethics of, of ever. And then finally, even as we're like wrapping up this year, given what just happened in Colorado, the Supreme Court probably in the next 10 days is going to have to rule on whether pr President Trump is going to be allowed to be on the ballot for in next year in the in Colorado and many other states where those lawsuits are pending. So that in many ways, it just feels like when I look back on it, we were talking about the Supreme Court in different fashions consistently throughout the year. Yeah, I I, th I think that that is a great one. I have sort of a mention to them at, in in my top five, uh, more along the ethics side of things. But I think all of the major decisions that you mentioned are, you know, certainly worthy of of a top five um, kind of ranking in terms of the in terms of importance in twenty twenty three. I think Supreme Court is always it's one of those things, right? We had Roe in there from last year. And really, you know, starting to understand the impacts of what that looks like this year, um, as now it's sort of been the law of the land for over, you know, 18 months. Right. And right. I think yeah. that so so go, so it goes with with so many of these decisions. They they happen, you know, the the people who follow the legal chats and the law review and things like that are going to be hyper aware of of what was said. But um, for the everyday person, it's you know, comes down from the Supreme Court. Now the states have to react. And so there's like a little bit of that trickle down effect. Yeah. And I think some of those things that you mentioned are around the first minute, certainly whether Donald Trump is going to be able to run or not, um, you know, we're going to, it's going to be, it's going to be big news. Yeah, I w it wouldn't shock me if a year from now we're sitting here and like, what were the big stories of 2024? SCOTUS again. You know what I mean? For Again, I've said this many times over the course of this year, for better or for worse, they've become one of the the big things in the news over the past couple of years. And we, we mentioned all the reasons why it's better. And unfortunately, I think it's self-aware why it's, it's for the worse in many ways. So what do you what do you got for number five? All right. So this uh, this one may or may not surprise you. And I didn't exactly know how I wanted to to phrase this, but um this was this is something that happened pretty recently was is not something that we've yet talked about but i'm hoping that we do get a chance to talk about it in 2024 so the co the cop 28 happened recently and there was a first ever call to transition away from fossil fuels which is sort of if you follow kind of global climate accords is is really a big deal although kind of like some of these supreme court rulings like what it actually means right. how it actually works um is going to be you know for the future to determine but if we start to make some meaningful progress in mitigating some of the worst impacts of climate change that scientists the scientific consensus says will happen i think they will look back on this on in the year of 2023 when this sort of pronouncement was made 
that there's sort of a global understanding that we have to do some things differently, particularly around fossil fuels. So um, a bit light on action, but still, I think, pretty important. Definitely want to talk about this in 24. The positive side of me says this is a great example of the global community coming together in ways that 100 years ago would have been unthinkable. And of course, like great that we've made progress in 100 years, sure. Uh, and despite all of probably some of these things that we're going to get into later where the world seems to be falling apart and people seem more at odds than ever, we still do have these areas that threaten that threaten us as a planet, as a species, that we're going to come together and talk about these things and actually come to an agreement on, on like a, a deal. And when you think of all of the different countries out there with all of their different like goals and uh, governments and peoples and economic situations, the fact that we were able to get any agreement at all out of this summit is a huge achievement. And so credit to all of the, the diplomats and negotiators that were there. Huge. So positives, all of those things. I mean, the negative side of me is that we've had several of these kind of major climate conferences before. And what we have set these lofty goals and consistently we have failed to hit the goals. And like what we're seeing now is the, the goals of trying to reduce or limit the the global temperature change, like 1.5 degrees by the end of the century, that's that's already out of reach. Right? We've already kind of missed that. And so, yeah, I agree with you that it's great that we got this agreement on paper. Let's let's see in the coming years what comes of it. Yeah, and I mean, I th I think I always want to take some of those forecasts with a grain of salt. Like a lot of it is that yeah, oh, we, all right, we put too much CO2 in the atmosphere. That, based on kind of what we understand about the relationship between car uh, carbon in the atmosphere and rising temperatures, is the 1.5 is out of reach. I think that the fact that we now have a global consensus and we can finally work towards what we have always needed to do, even with some of the kind of goals that we've ha had in the past, some voluntary commitments and things like that, I think just even though maybe symbolic gives us an opportunity to really like throw sort of all of our weight behind, like our, our global weight in, in a way that, that is exciting. Um, I'll, I'll be it. Yeah. Yeah. And, a lot, it, so. and, it, and it keeps countries connected, right? Like we, us in China might be in some ways in the midst of decoupling our economies. And we certainly know that we have, we are military, we are, you know, at, in adverse situations militarily with many other countries in the world. But if this is something where we can keep coming back to of like, hey, despite everything else that's going on, we can agree on this, that we're going to work towards this. Yeah, I definitely think that's positive. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Am I on to... Uh, yeah, why don't you give us number four? Number four. Yeah, yeah we'll do it. I mean, yeah, yeah, I like snake that. draft style. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So <laughs> this is another topic that we didn't get a chance to really dive into, not for lack of desire but more from just like a as much as we read about it it's still we're we're sort of the novices on on this side of the thing and so my number four was artificial intelligence yeah, um, yeah. i think this yeah. <laughs> that's a good one yeah okay so this this to me obviously artificial intelligence is not new for 2023 right. but 2023 saw some pretty significant breakthroughs um chat gpt being one of those and open AI just in general, like all over the news, if you work in any kind of software, 
kind of capacity. You've been hearing about AI for a long time, but there are all kinds of implications from like how the Screen Actors Guild wanted yeah. protections against AI from like taking their jobs to all, all sorts of different things that we haven't unwound yet. And we'll obviously, you know, it's very hard to really envision what are all the, the uses going to be. But again, if I think about 2023 and like what the history books yeah. will write about it, yeah. I think for better or for worse, they're going to be like in this year, AI really, you know, made a cross kind of like that milestone that it needs to sort of take take on a new life within the mainstream yep. um so that's why I those put that those on my list. so far so good those are one <laughs> okay. two great choices but also you know if for long time listeners i don't just pump ricky's tires for no, no. reason especially <laughs> I, I love jumping Taking on him apart yeah, on his list. Uh, but those are not only two things that I think are significant historically, but also things I want to talk more about in, in this next year. Because, again, still much to be determined about how this plays out. But I agree that it's, as you just said, it became mainstream this year in a way that it was, again, it not it's existed for a long time. And we always knew that AI advances were coming, but it, it did really feel like it exploded this year where now every field is forced to talk about these things and try to map out and reckon what their field is going to look like in the future, how AI is going to affect that. And we know that you, the Europe already ahead of the United States in terms of how they're regulating AI and the United States is going to have to deal with this in some way. So, yeah, I think that's uh, it's a historically. Yeah, I mean, I always think back to like iRobot or something like that. And I'm like, this is, we're living through these times now. Like, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. I should probably un unpack that a little bit next year, but uh, I think that's a really good choice. All right. Number four, something we actually, we did talk plenty about. And I guess I'm, I'm maybe I'm more focused United States wise than you are. You're, you're talking about historically in, in the worldwide sense. Uh, number four for me, the resiliency and the resurrection of President Trump. I, I, it, Ricky, I think looking back on the year, maybe it seems inevitable. And this is something even me in at the end of 2020, I, I said to you, I'm gonna have to pull up this clip at some point once it becomes official. I said, I think we're getting Biden and Trump in four more years. So it, this is not something that we hadn't seen coming. But if you go back to the beginning of the year, we have all of these contenders for president. There are three sitting governors, two former governors, one of the most popular senators out there. It looked like a pretty strong cast of of candidates. We have President Trump facing an incredible array of lawsuits that we didn't know how were going to play out. And I guess we still don't know how they're going to play out. But when we end the year, he is stronger almost than he ever was, where he's hitting numbers in Iowa polls that no Republican candidate has ever hit in, in a primary. You wonder like how that is when people are, we talked about to, with David about polling, and these are pretty reputable polls that I was looking at this last week where a greater percentage of people than ever believe he committed crimes and still a greater percentage of people than ever support him. And it's like, how, how do you reconcile it? I don't know. But I, and again, I guess my point is that it maybe have seemed inevitable, but every single like barb and arrow that was thrown at him, he just took it and got more support from it. And it's, it's remarkable. Yeah. And as inevitable as it might have seemed, like historically, the fact like of, of all this stuff that's happening and that he's still maybe the favorite to be our president next year, it's mind blowing to me. And this this was the year that the comeback went from theoretical to like fully formed. Yeah, it. it, 
Yes, I I don't. It, it's 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 yeah. For me, it's definitely one of those like the stories that just hangs over the the twenty twenty three. I don't have much to add to that. Maybe I will say he is sort of a remarkable example of like just the bucking the trend and or like not sort of succumbing to prior precedent in the way that like all right you've been disgraced you're you're facing all these lawsuits you've been arrested you have a mugshot and like all of the rest of history would tell you as a politician now's the time to be like you know what let me step away like whatever whatever and you know not have to face kind of anything any anything that kind of comes after that being in the political spotlight while also like dealing with these embarrassing things but he somehow is able to be like i'm not embarrassed about any of this stuff it's actually you guys that should be embarrassed and somehow that is playing incredibly well um yeah i saw i saw a recent poll uh about kind of whether or not people think his handling of what's going on in the Middle East right now would be better than President Biden. And it's by like 10 to 15 percentage points different. Obviously, people think very, very like diametrically opposite, uh, you know, solutions for what's going on there. And yet, for some reason, they think somebody like Trump is going to do that better than Biden. And I it. There is that, like, the wild card element, right? Like, for the longest time, he just, like, doesn't do any of the things that you expect politicians to do, former presidents to do. Really, like, he just doesn't do any of those things, and people seem to like that. It's it's incredible. So, yeah, that that was my number four. It's just one of those things that seem to come up every week when we're kidding around topics. And, yeah, he was omnipresent this year, as I'm sure he will be next year. Number three for me is the House of Representatives, the dysfunction in it this year. That's another thing where we start the year and it's historic how many attempts it takes to elect Speaker of the House. We said it hadn't been that many ballots in, I think, since the 1860s, 160 years. And then we conclude with the first time that the Speaker of the House was ever recalled. And then it takes, we have three weeks without a Speaker of the House historically. Then we elect the Speaker with the least amount of experience in 180 years. So all of these things are happening. And then I I read recently that only 26 bills were passed out of the House of Representatives this year. They took, I think they took 724 votes. So what that tells you is the least amount of laws passed by the the House in in modern history, and the most amount of votes taken in in modern history. (laughs) They also censured three three people for the first time, the most in any single Congress. They did three in one year. They expelled a member for the first time in, in 20 plus years, the first one without uh, having a criminal conviction. Like, it's it's been an absolute mess. And uh, that's something where I feel like another one of those kind of through lines through this year of just like the dysfunction of the House of Representatives. Yeah, and you may think that I cheated a little bit. I my my number two was twenty twenty three, kind of the year of like political scandal. So I had, okay. I, I was right. thinking along those exact same lines. Um, that yeah, obviously what's been going on in the House first former president to be indicted of a crime, and then obviously yeah. all the ethics things that were coming up with the Supreme yeah. Court. Like I was, I, I bundled them all together, which is perhaps unfair. But yeah. I, I think I think if anything comes of it, right, like we had, you know, for, for better or for worse, or like depending on how 
sort of impactful you think it is that the Supreme Court eventually came out and created a little bit of a code of ethics for itself that it codified. I think hopefully something like that, something similar can come out of the house that like we now, because apparently we're all children here, we need actual rules for how we do things and maybe like some vetting politically because this George Santos story still cracks me up. (laughs) But it's like, it's not, it's It's not funny. I don't know. It is is pretty funny. How it ends with like the OnlyFans situation. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if, if only he, he could have never dreamed of a better way. Yeah. He's making bank now. Only in America. Yeah. Yeah. Only in America. But like, I, I guess Republicans are going through with this again, in some congressional race in Ohio, they have someone who claimed to have served in uh, Iraq or Afghanistan, and it turns out he he wasn't there or something. So, yeah, politic like it feels like there are some lessons learned, and unfortunately, some things where you would have expected people to have integrity and police themselves and sort of be fair about things when when they work in your favor and when they don't. Unfortunately, that's not the case, but. Maybe, you know, maybe there is something to take from it. As we've always seen, these things like tend to go in cycles and we talk about how it feels like it may be careening down a hill, but it may actually just be sort of the start of a turnaround. So let's hope so. Again, I feel like I love your positivity. Let me give let me give the negative counterpoint here is again. Now, I feel like David Paleologos got me on all these polls. So I keep referencing polls. But one poll I saw the other day, and this is not a surprise uh, and it's showed by generation how, just an answer to that, it was, I think it was Pew Research Survey of, um, do you believe that democracy is the best system of government? And if you look at the silent generation, it was like 98%. And if you look at boomers, it was like 92%. And then if you look at, uh, who's that, Gen X is ahead of us, like there, there was like 84%. And then if you look at millennials like us, it was like 75%. And then if you look at... Uh, Gen Z, it was like 60%. And it was like the lowest they've ever had for any group. They were like, young people often are dissatisfied with democracy more so than like their old generations. But they were also saying this is a very striking thing because so much of like the the silent generation obviously coming out of World War II, they, they saw fascist, like actual fascism and Nazism and authoritarian governments all over the world. And then for uh, the boomers, like they grew up in a Cold World era where there are authoritarian governments that are threatening all over the world. And for our generations, like we haven't seen that as much. And so particularly for people even younger than us, what they've seen of their democracy in the last like seven or eight years, like they're looking around and be like, this isn't really working. I think that goes to your point about all these scandals. You look at these, the, the faith in our institutions is lower than ever. And it's frustrating to someone like me, but then you look at when you see what's happening in, in like in the Supreme Court and the judicial branch, then you see what's happening in the House in the uh, legislative branch. You see what's happening in the executive branch with Hunter, it, yeah, with Hunter Biden and certainly with former President Trump impeached twice and now indicted on five different counts in five different states. You know, five five different cases. You know, it's. As much as frustrating as I want to like sometimes shake some of these younger people and be like, we have it so good. Like you can understand why they're disenchanted with democracy. And that's that's a little bit scary to me. Yeah, I I think I sent you a, uh, a little Instagram clip of a comedian being like just like reviewing democracy is like it's so much better <laughs> yeah, yeah. than fascism you in fascism you only have one choice democracy. We have <laughs> definitely two. They happen to be the same bad choices that we had like (laughs) four years ago but but it's so much better better. (laughs) yeah i i i think the 
I guess the key difference is that democracy does give you an avenue for like how you could change it. Yeah. But yeah. we have for, for at least since as long as we've been alive sort of been trapped in in sort of that like in in a relative like groupthink where you cannot really deviate from the two-party system. And yeah, I, again I I think we could you, I mean, you could, as a cynic, look at it and say, like, all right, well, maybe this is, like, the beginning of the end. Or you could say, like, hey, the system is still changeable, and now we're seeing that we're probably going to need some, some of the courage to change it. And you are, I think you are seeing chinks in the kind of, in the armor and, like, the in how the old guard operates. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that, like, the the newer voices are that much better or feel that much saner. But we've always talked about this. Like the moderates don't really ever get together on any of these issues. And it's always been you're either Republican or you're Democrat. And somehow we've gotten more aligned with the extremes of our parties that probably we have less in common with than the moderates. And there are opportunities to like, hey, we can get together on some things and actually drown out the extreme voices instead of only getting together to pass defense budgets. But I will uh, I digress. Oh. <laughs> you digress. Yeah. All right. So that was essentially your number two with with uh, kind of ethics in general or the failure that of, of ethics. Uh, what do you have for number three? So I, I don't again, a slow burn story, one that has kind of been in the news for several years now. But I I think I, I can make a case that it came to a head a little bit in 2023, inflation. So um, uh, inflation and particularly kind of our, so this is a domestic story, although inflation is a global one, how our the Federal Reserve has responded, hiking interest rates to the highest that they've been in, I don't know, decades, really. generations, yeah. right? Um, while... Some would argue that like inflation has come down, meaning that uh, you know the Fed can kind of back off now, and we may have reached some kind of proverbial soft landing. I think some of the things that I'm seeing in the news about how it's just made it so much harder for people in the housing market yeah. to buy anything. It hasn't changed the fact that we can't that you know the housing stock isn't improving, and so even though rates are higher, you're not really chasing anybody out of the market. I think that's going to, beyond some of the debt things that you've talked about, which are certainly true, and obviously higher interest rates really impact very, any type of variable debt, yep. I think that sort of delaying of how the American model around getting into a home early, being able to build equity from your yeah. house, um, that's going to have some, some, some serious impacts down the road. I, and hopefully not, hopefully I'm, I'm wrong about this and... I don't and I don't know if some of these things sort of correct course correct, but um, yeah, inflation for me. Well, it's almost like someone has been warning about inflation on this <laughs> podcast for three years, um, and other people just kept poo pooing it away. Uh, but I am glad you're recognizing it. Uh, I had that as an honorable mention for me. Yeah, I think again, I feel like I've taken on the, the negative role in this, but it's not been the best year. I think when in reflecting on these stories, but when you're talking about long term effects, is We've had now a generation, our generation in particular, when the generation coming up behind us too, that for them, like this idea of the American dream 
which often includes buying a house because that's how you build wealth, is farther out of reach. And when that's farther out of reach, that kind of adds like this disenchantment with the current government, disenchantment with like the system in general. And that's, I don't think that's the main driver, but it, it does fuel people to kind of look to extremes to try to say like, the, this person or this system is not working for you. I am the one that can fix it. And I think underlying almost any authoritarian 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 government is <laughs> our economic issues, right? Like if you look at historically any time that like authoritarians rise to power, it's almost always on the backs of economic discontent in, in those places. And so that that's, I think, a potential worry like systemically for that. But also when you, we've talked a lot about like um, inequalities, like historic inequalities in our country. His, like kind of historically that cer certain groups have been marginalized and haven't been able to tap into uh, wealth in the same ways. Well, I think we've done a pretty good job in or certainly a better job, if not a perfect job in the last couple of decades of allowing, giving more people more opportunities to potentially, uh, you know, acquire wealth, right. In ways that maybe weren't uh, available to people of different races or uh, nationalities or genders or sexualities before. But even as we've given, even as you say, we looked at like education levels or income levels for like black Americans or Hispanic Americans or Asian Americans or women or whatever, I bet they're like at all time highs for all of those things. But if you can't get into the housing market I mean, and the rates are so high when you're trying to pay back student debt or if you're trying to buy cars or like any, any sorts of things that would actually make a long term difference in your uh, like your wealth. It's made it hits. Oh, it's pushed it almost farther out of reach, and so it's it's delaying progress. Even though we're making it at the bottom levels, it's still delaying it at kind of the macro levels. Yeah, yeah. No, I I I think that's totally right. And we we've also sort of lamented not doing and just a broader examination of fairness and perceptions of fairness. And I think that as you talked about, like what undergirds a lot of transitions from more of a democracy to to something that is either explicitly authoritarian or at least appears or functions in an authoritarian fashion it's it's that not only that people don't have that economic art yeah. opportunity but somebody is able to frame like who you need to blame yeah. for that sort of yeah. thing and when the world feels unfair and somebody is able to kind of either take up your cause on on your side of what you think needs to be done to be fair it, it's definitely a powerful recipe um in terms of like getting political movements yeah. started so i think that that is yeah it's it it's something that we're, we're we're gonna have to keep an eye on well i already gave you my number two so i'll i guess i'll kick it back to you I would guess that this isn't on yours, but I still think Ukraine, Russia is the, the number two story globally for me. And this was a war a year ago, kind of came onto the scene. And while I would venture to say most analysts didn't think that it was going to end quickly, we knew this was going to be a protracted uh, conflict. This is something that's that's continued, obviously, throughout the year. And while it maybe hasn't gotten as much coverage because people's attention spans are short and other things that I think are probably still to come have, have taken that in terms of like the eyes of the media, this is still a huge conflict that's been going on worldwide and it's affected so many other things. So just recently, the Ukraine was invited to start the process to move into the EU. What's happened in the Ukraine also caused uh, 
other countries, including Sweden and Norway, to apply to to join the EU. Iran and, and Russia got closer in some ways, and that's also kind of affected things in the Middle East. We had that we talked about China and Russia, about um, Vladimir Putin and, and Xi Jinping meeting, and uh, Vladimir Putin and um, Kim Jong Un meeting. Uh, so, like we've had the fact as this conflict has dragged on, we've had. Uh, some like, kind of new or relationships forming, some old relationships strengthening. Obviously, here in the United States, the the support for Ukraine, which seemed rock solid a year ago, has waned to the point where the supplemental funding for Ukraine was not passed, and who knows what the future of it is next year. Um, and this is kind of what Vladimir Putin had said. He was just going to wait out the West because the attention spans are short over there, and he was going to be able to eventually over overcome Ukraine. And I think the fears of like what the end of that conflict for NATO remain just as, as present as ever, if they're not more so. I know I know that people, I think, seemingly for the first time are starting to consider, well, what if Russia kind of wins the war? Like, what, what does that entail now? Now Russia's theoretically right on NATO's border in some ways, the way it wasn't before. And like, that might be something we're going to have to deal with. And again, that's saying all of these things geopolitically without really getting to the the true tragedy of it is that like hundreds of thousands of, of people are dying ukrainian citizens um, most unfortunately but ukrainian soldiers and i saw like a statistic that uh, the united states i think there were three hundred fifty thousand russian soldiers at the beginning of this war the united states by their calculations over three hundred thousand of those have died and again it's hard to feel sympathy for russia who has initiated this war but when you think like those numbers are staggering numbers more than than we've lost in in almost every other war that's happened in the last year and a half so uh, while it's it's faded a little bit it's it seems to me to have affected so many other things both globally and domestically yeah i i think that is um perfectly reasonable i did not include it if only because i didn't think about a sort of a specific flashpoint yeah. but i think all of the everything that you outlined um will really bring it back to sort of this period the from the start of the war through whenever it kind of concludes um as being sort of pivotal in terms of how kind of global powers like are realigned yeah yeah, I really think that's it. And again, you hate this is coming off the Kissinger episode where we talk about how you and I at least criticize him for seeing the world so dispassionately of just like this this chessboard that you have you kind of move piece all over. And it seems if you're able to kind of remove yourself from the human suffering that goes on toward, I hope that we you and I don't or people don't, but like it's it's fascinating to watch. Even like we've talked about India more this year because India has now become a player because. There are one of these other rising powers that well, the United States and China are courting. And so it's like all of these different things are are kind of intertwined that, that we're seeing. Yeah. yeah. All right. You want to go number one? Do you want to do it at the same time? <laughs> I don't know how we phrase <laughs> yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. So my number one, I had uh, Israel, Palestine, Israel, Hamas. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I the phrasing is, is, uh, is going to be Right. How do you say it? Yeah. But, yeah. Um, I obviously this has been going on for a long, long time, but the events of October 7th and the ensuing, well, every day since then yeah. has um, really, I think, gripped the world in a way that prior conflicts that are in that are that are horrific, but are in different places are often over often overlooked. Yeah, you know, yeah. um, and this has 
played out on American college campuses. It's played out, obviously, acro- yeah, just across the world and voices and stories and all this stuff being amplified by social media in, in ways that you wouldn't, um, that you couldn't really have foreseen five years ago or, you know, even sort of the last major flare up um, in intentions. I, I, I say that and it all, as soon as it comes out of my mouth, it sounds um, callous or really understating what has been going on. But I think when people think about 2023, this is clear in a way the the biggest news story. The only thing that made me hesitate at putting it number one was, as you said, what precipitated all this was October 7th. So I was thinking like, am I just a prisoner of the moment? Has it really only been like the last two months here? And it's the story of the last two months as opposed to 2023. But as I was thinking about it more, We've talked about this actually throughout 2023. We, we talked about uh, escalating tensions at the beginning of the spring with Israel had, had gone into Gaza at one point and it was the, yeah, the bloodiest. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That was, and we had mentioned at the time being like, this is not a good sign of like that this continues to escalate and Hamas seems to be pushing a little harder than they were and Israel's coming down harder than they were. Like, again, that maybe was one of those canary in the coal mines moments that we had on this podcast. Uh, but also, we talked about Israel's government and the reforms that Netanyahu was trying to push through and how it was becoming less democratic in some ways. And then, obviously, the absolute horror, the tragedy, the terrorist attack of October 7th and the Israel, the hundreds of Israelis that were murdered that, that day and continue to suffer over these last couple of months. And now I think I just saw it was 20,000 um, people in Gaza have been killed um, in Israel's response. The, the human suffering uh, is, is terrible all, all over the place. But again, it's as you said, it has gripped the world. And it's so interesting to think of all the factors, whether it is social media or whether it is the history of this region or religion or so many people that feel empathetic to different sides in this and uh, how like historic the conflict kind of is. And so, yeah, I think for me, this isn't something as, as gruesome as it's been, terrible as it's been and how, how news dominant has been in these last two months. It's something that really uh, it kind of span, spanned the, in, the entire year in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you, you hate to think about sort of a silver lining in this types of tragedies. As you said, tw- now 20,000 Palestinians in in Gaza. And the, although a lot of news reports will question some things that come out of the Gazan health ministry, the actual number of dead people is not generally questioned. So I like I, I know a lot of people hear that number and are like, well, is that true? That that might not be true. I think globally that that number is relatively well accepted. One of the things that you had actually said when we recorded our podcast after is the typical ratio of deaths between Israelis and Palestinians is one to 20. So we're at that point now. And it's hard to say something like this, but the the hope is that, that there will be continued discussions. There actually, in some corners, has been a little bit of a more sort of nuanced look at this. There have been calls from the U.S. to to really think about a two-state solution, what that has to look like afterwards. And this has been really in this like limbo phase, this untenable limbo phase for a long period of time. And so you, you, you don't ever want to think that 
some of these things aren't are necessary but maybe the the way to view it is it is like a catalyst for something different and we you know over 60 70 years have seen so much of the same thing and maybe there there is a light at the end of the tunnel obviously very very far from that but um yeah, I guess I guess I guess we'll have to see where where that goes. But yeah, and credit to like again the, the global community. We talked about this before, but Egypt and Qatar have taken leading roles in this, and certainly the United States has been there. I know China has been involved, and Saudi Arabia. And it's going to take really all of these countries coming together to try to find a solution there. And as as uh, pie in the sky as that may seem, you're right. I mean, hope again looking at this in like the light most favorable possible for like for globally and historically, because it to me it almost. It's, it wasn't worth the 25,000 people that have now been killed over this, right? Uh, but, you know, that's, at this point, that's all you can hope for is that, that they didn't die in vain and better things will come for future generations of people in that region. I, I guess, and, and I wasn't planning on asking this, but as we sort of talked about some of these things, I wonder how you think about 2023 in like the <laughs> scheme of, yeah. in like the grand scheme of kind of, American history and where our place in the world is and is going to be for, let's say, the next 50 years. I think you talked a little bit about how we're not the ones kind of leading the negotiation this time around, where we have been in the past. I think in a lot of ways, right, what's happening in Russia and Ukraine. Similarly, we're a very big player, and yet we're almost sidelined in a bit some ways in because of our own sort of doing and how we've kind of handcuffed ourselves politically in some of these situations but yeah how how are how are you thinking about 2023 and like sort of the the context of if if the 20th century was you know for better or for worse the american century where we were the preeminent power especially after kind of the collapse of the soviet union post world war 2 where does this put us now and what's our sort of path in the next well i'll throw it back to you because uh you we posted something a clip from the kissinger our reflection on kissinger from last episode on instagram and you you posted your like reposted with a caption like sometimes i think these are you know unprecedented times and then sometimes i think well it's all happening again and again i haven't thought deeply about this but in just in thinking about your question right now it feels like we're a little bit back almost in the 60s again where from the collapse, the downfall of the Soviet Union on, we were the sole superpower, we were the sole global superpower. We feel like we could do whatever we want unchecked, again, for better or for worse. Like we were the ones everywhere that were either causing problems or solving problems, right? We, we were the ones. And I think there was fatigue by the time we got into the 2010s of the United States. You heard a lot of like, we don't need to be the global police anymore. That's where you come, like, make America great, like, put America first in this more isolationist bent on a, on a both sides saying like we don't need to be out there anymore some like i think real fatigue from doing all of those things it feels like what we've done with ukraine and with israel is maybe not (laughs) i don't think we've been leaders in the global community i think what president biden's chosen to pursue is we're going to defend democracies and whatever he terms as democracies we're going to defend these countries that are allies of ours whatever we determine are our allies and we're going to defend them kind of 
and I know he wouldn't say this, but like no matter what, right? Like I think there are real criticisms you can make of the Ukrainian government and the Israel and the Israeli government and how like whether it's corruption or how they're treating their own people, how they treat minorities in those countries. I think there are real questions, but we've decided that we're gonna cast our lots with these people, with these countries, no matter what. And that reminds me a little bit of like 1960s, uh, like I, what's containment, right? Like we're gonna we're going to go and we're gonna fight in Korea and we're going to fight in Vietnam because like what ultimately as JFK said, like for democracies we'll go anywhere and fight anywhere and that's a little bit what it seems right now. Like we've kind of stepped a little bit. Like the reason that we're not going to be able to negotiate the ultimate Ukraine truce is because we've declared a side for that. You know, like even in the Middle East, like if I was you know, the Palestinian Authority, why would I sit down with the United States that's only supported, like, my my enemy in this, right? Like, uh, and I think, so, I, I don't hate that, but it's different, it's certainly a different posture than it's been. Yeah, I mean, I guess if I think about the last sort of two centuries of, or not two centuries, sorry, 2,000 years of, like, human beings, the sort of the rise and fall of empires is something that you can chart. And it, it tends to be, I mean, I remember our history teacher, Mr. Ward, just being like, at some point your reach gets too big and you can no longer manage each part effectively yeah. and you no longer adhere to the principles and values that you espouse. And then it slowly falls apart in different areas. And I, so I think if we, believe in I, I yeah i think this is like potentially a time for us to sort of reflect on like how where we want our place to be in the world in the next 20 30 years and yeah i, th- I mean i think you could you can say like yeah of course i don't hate that we're out in the world supporting democracy but then we you know we're not that shining example of democracy that that everybody is like oh yeah, I see what it could be like if we were like America. Instead, it's like, uh... Look at the stories. We yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe I'll pass on that. And yet, obviously, when we go back to documents like the Declaration of Independence, like the Constitution, for the most part, uh, there's so much in there that, like, are... Obviously, they're the truths for, for our country, but they're, like, universal truths of human beings. So, I don't know. It gives me hope, but it is... You, we have to be so much more careful because, right, in the past it was the blank check, let's go to war, and that is not – it was – you know, you can look at, at history, right? It's It has never been a sustainable way of sort of maintaining power and, and stature. So, it, yeah, I, I, I think I'm hopeful that this is a bit of a reflection. I think the thing that's scary is that – we don't have among the mainstream parties like aside from Donald Trump we don't have a ton of options when it comes to sort of foreign policy and like how we navigate kind of the new the new world order and i'm not sort of renouncing america as still like sort of the leading entity but there is there really just are a lot of other players in a way that there weren't 20 30 years ago All right it's it's it feels like it's been a year of upheaval, and it's as, as you pointed out, it's not unprecedented in world history, or certainly even in American history. Uh, but it'll be it'll be interesting to see. It might be next year, and it might be five years from now, like where we come out after this. But it, it feels, I think, if 
people feel like this year has been turbulent, there are plenty of reasons to feel like that's what it's been. Yeah, I think that's fair. All right, maybe a couple of uh, honorable mentions. Sure, I mentioned inflation earlier, but yeah, I got two honorable mentions. Immigration, um, I think it's... I was surprised that wasn't it. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's going to come up in 24 as well, but it's... Immigration, we could talk about it globally, which there are huge issues, but certainly here in the United States, it's been really just crazy. Uh, I don't know. There's, I have no real, no real points on this, but it's just been something that I think has been consistent that this one of these intractable problems that everyone agrees that this is broken. Um, the, the episode we did with Korean, I thought was excellent. And the other thing I had was higher education. Uh, we talked about it in the spring with Dr. Madras about how, like, academic freedom, particularly some of these elite universities, was uh, being constricted and, and we didn't have the academic freedom that we proclaimed that we wanted. And then lo and behold, the year ends with three of the presidents from the mostly so-called most elite universities in our country basically refusing to condemn this definition of genocide, whatever. We, we don't need to talk about that whole thing, but it just feels like there's been a real reckoning of what what are these universities doing? What what's being taught here? How are their cultures? Like, is this good for the United States? Uh, in a way that I don't really remember uh, having those conversations in my lifetime. I think they were protecting your First Amendment right, Brendan. I don't know why you're not on their side, but uh, that's tongue in cheek. Anyways, um, I yeah I I think that that is that both of those are. Are certainly they're like they're ever present stories. The higher education one has really, really come to a head this year for so many different yeah. reasons. Student debt. Like Student debt. Yeah, yep, like, exactly. Um, and then and, and the then affirmative action. The yeah, I guess we could go ahead. Yeah, that could have been a good. That yeah. Been, yeah, but and then the the immigration piece. I think quietly has also you know had some pretty sort of significant. Uh, Progression's not the right word because it feels like we're going sideways. Yeah. But there, de- you know, on the on the Democratic side, there have been some movements towards a lot of policies that yeah. Republicans have yeah. championed for like yeah. a long, long time. Um, I think that is always been. I I think that's a general tension. It's like how do you deal with the short term and then the long term, and when you have two parties that are basically talking about different things because one is saying like this is what we need to do now and the other is trying to say well what happens in 20 years when you do this now is that also you know whatever so but maybe they're talking again i think it's interesting how they're sort of tying it up with these other types of things like ukrainian aid but um who knows something to keep an eye on 2024 yeah we can be hopeful Yeah. yeah all right so i don't i don't really have anything else that i really considered for my top five but just some things that i that i remember as big stories from 2023 that maybe no one will ever talk about again the submersible the titan remember yes. that yeah. um the sky balloon uh, the uh the Chinese spy balloon, balloon. Yeah. Yep. yeah and then subsequently like different things being shot down yeah. in different, yeah. <laughs> yeah. different places yeah. um i think we had a couple of those bank failures earlier this yep. year yeah. uh those seem to have somehow been swept under the rug but we'll sort of see how that pay no attention to the man behind the curtain yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly um and then 
I think my last one is Time Woman of the Year, Taylor, Taylor Swift. Swift. Also on my list. I was yeah. gonna wrap with that. Is yeah. that like when you think of twenty thirty three? Like if you think of a singular person, it might be her. I mean, yeah. it, I think it it has to be her. I don't know exactly how much money that the like the Eras tour has made, but it it like beyond breaking Ticketmaster and yeah. all those other things that it did, and then obviously her budding romance with uh, <laughs> with Travis Kelsey. Yeah. Not entirely. Yeah, well, it mean, is. It it is really remarkable, and I I I actually I wish I actually had looked up what the numbers were, but there was a little bit of um, there was some analysis that when Taylor Swift hits like some of these like smaller markets or countries, that there's a, like a tangible inflationary yeah. effect that yeah. you can measure based on you know the size of the crowds that she's drawing, and um, it I, yeah it's. Uh, the year of Taylor Swift. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's one of those things that time named an entertainer the the person of the year, and everyone was just kind of like, "Yep, that, yeah, that's about that right." You know, like, yeah. Yeah. it's like that's what an incredible year for her. So, in in what was a grim, gloomy year in so many ways, uh, you know, it's nice when we can end with someone that brought a lot of people a lot of joy. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, Brandon, it has been another. Heck of a year. I always appreciate doing this with you. I can't wait to see what uh, what 2024 has in store for us. Neither can I. Neither can I. Well, off to year four, and I'm sure it's going to be just as eventful as these previous three have been. So as you said, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you again to everyone that listens and supports us. We hope everyone has a wonderful and safe, happy, healthy New Year's, and we'll see you next year. See you, buddy. We stay up all night on Garner Avenue Debating all the issues of the day no agenda, not yet. Talking heads, running around till we forget where it was we began. Some mornings you were away, some morning left your ego bruised. But what I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find in a case of lion's head. Folks of different minds, because even though it did not share, Pains we share that American ideal Friends made over arguments In an early morning buzz Need an early morning buzz Learn the hard way But to those who would die upon that hill Quiet truth is better Than a rain Somewhere along the line We seem to have forgotten Values sometimes being wrong. Some mornings you away, the morning let your ego bruise. But what I wouldn't give for the hope I used to find in a case of lion's head. And folks of different minds, because though we didn't share opinions, we share an American ideal. Friends made over arguments. In an early morning bus, 
I need an early morning blood There's hope behind the bluster Cause the old Main Street may not sell It's full of folks just like you and me When we have trouble seeing The human for the politics It's time to find a better way to disagree Some days you win Days will leave your ego through But what I wouldn't give for Hope I used to find And change the lion's head And folks are different mind Because though we did not share Opinions we share That American ideal Friends made over arguments And an early morning buzz What I wouldn't give for Hope I used to find in a case of lion's head Folks are different mind Because though we did not share opinions We share that American ideal Friends made over arguments In an early morning buzz I need an early morning buzz